Hey guys, Pastor Bear here. Welcome to the podcast for Real Church. We meet every Sunday at 11.15 a.m. at the Worship Center on the campus of Central Christian School in Sherpsburg. You can also check us out online at www.realchurchcoweta.com or jump on Facebook at Real Church Coweta. I hope you enjoy this week's message. Well, a child was born just the other day. He came to the world in kind of the usual way. But there were planes to catch and there were bills to pay. And he he learned to walk while I was away. And he was talking before I knew it. And as he grew, he kept saying, I'm going to be like you, Dad. I'm going to be like, like you. You know, my son turned 10 just the other day. He said, thanks for the ball, Dad. Come on, let's play. Will you teach me to throw? And I said, oh, man, not, not, not today. I got a lot to do. He said, oh, that's okay. And he walked away, but he smiled every day, and he said, man, I'm going to be like him. I'm going to be like him. And the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon and little boy blue and the man in the moon when you coming home, son? I don't know when, but we'll get together then, son. That's when we'll get together. My... He came up from college just the other day. He was so much like a man, I just had to say. I don't know the rest of the words. <laughs> What'd you say? Son, I'm proud of you. Will you sit for a while? He shook his head and he said with a smile, what I really like, Dad, is to borrow the car keys. See you later. Can I have them, please? And the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon and little boy blue and the man in the moon. When you coming home, son, I don't know when. We'll get together then, Dad. We'll get together then. And I'm not even going to try to do the last verse. What is that song actually talking about? Let me tell you what it's talking about. The song is talking about getting so caught up with your life and getting so busy that you never engage the relationship with those that are closest around you. I used to have a saying whenever I worked in in a ministry that wasn't in a church, and and this is my saying, your lack of planning doesn't constitute a crisis on my behalf. Yet oftentimes what we do is we allow crisis of the now to overlook the long-term pictures. And most of the time when we allow those crises to occur, what ends up happening is, is that our families get shut out, especially as us dads, because our goal is to provide, protect, and oversee our own homes and to help raise our children in a way in which God would want you to. You know, one of the people I'm so impressed with, and I'm not saying he does it perfect all the time, I'm saying that I've seen him do it, is um, Brian, Brian Morley. Brian Morley, uh, I was walking with him one day, and he looked, and he, he, Brian Morley's phone never stops ringing. All right, everybody's pooper gets clogged up all the time. He's a plumber. And, and, and they have water leaks and they have all these kind of things. And yet he looked at it and he said, nope, family day today, put his phone in his back pocket. Nope, sorry. That's what he said. 
you know, he could, he could go ahead and do that, that one little job that would lead to two and lead to three and lead to five and lead to seven. But you know what he's doing instead? I don't know what they were playing last night or night before last. I don't know when it was, but they were playing, I think they were playing Monopoly. Uh, all of them sitting around at the table. Uh, if you're on social media and if you, if you follow um, Brian and Stacy, if you don't, go follow them um, uh, because he posts pictures of poop all the time. He really doesn't. He doesn't do that. Just ever so often. Uh, but anyway, so... But if you don't follow them, uh, the cool thing about the whole picture was not that they were playing Monopoly together. It was the faces of their children. The faces of their children were beaming. You know what I mean? Kids. Engaging the relationship with your kids. You know, there's a text in the scripture in Luke chapter 5. And this may sound odd. You might, after I read it, you may go, what does that mean? Well, I don't understand what that means. Let me read it to you. And here's what it says. So Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 8, says this. All right. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 8, says this. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, O oh Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as they were, without, they were the others with him, as were the others with him, his partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. And Jesus replied, and he said this, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. As soon as they landed, they left everything, and they followed Jesus. Now, what you may not know beforehand is, is they had been fishing a long time, and they hadn't caught much of anything. Jesus actually went to where they were, got into a little boat, and he taught. Then he looked at Simon Peter and said, hey, go out there and throw out again. And he did it. And when he saw the miracle, the scripture says that Simon Peter fell to his face and said, God, please leave me. I am too much of a sinner to be around you. It reminded me of the book of Isaiah chapter 6. Whenever Isaiah is telling the story of, of experiencing the God and when, when the whole scene played out, he says, I am an undone man. I am undone. I, I, I could not be in this presence. You are too good. You are too holy. I can't do that. And Simon said the same thing. Jesus, please leave me. Would you please leave me? Because let me tell you something. I am too much of a sinner. You have got to leave me now. You've got to leave me now. And what did Jesus do? Did he turn around and say, yeah, man, you're right. Yep, yeah, you're right, man. Now, you know what he did? Can I tell you what he did? Jesus said, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to be fishing for people. Jesus took the extra step and said, listen, don't be afraid. You can engage with me. You can engage with me. I want you to come with me, and we're going to build a relationship, and you're going to see things that you've never seen before. You're going to do things that you never thought you could do before. I want to tell you something. In going through this series of Equipped, the first thing I talked about was the importance of actually reading your Bible. Getting a Bible that you can understand, that you can read, that you can have notes with, that you can take notes with. One of the most refreshing things that I saw all week from our students was a large portion of them, not only did they have their Bibles with them, their actual Bibles, but they also, most of them, brought a notebook. And they were taking notes at camp all week long taking notes, writing those things down. That's exactly what they were doing. They were engaging in 
reading the text of the scripture and understanding it. That's where you start. I talked last week about the importance of taking a Sabbath. Maybe I shouldn't have done that because the worship leader took a Sabbath and so did about half the praise band. All right? So the poor schmucks whose, whose family of the pastor, they had to provide worship today for us. So what a great Father's Day gift, huh? Didn't, didn't, I mean, I'm going to brag a little. Didn't Blake do really well? He really did well. He's only been playing you guys for a year and about four months. I mean, it's pretty awesome. You know, I don't want to be that guy, but I'm just telling you, I'm very proud of him for, uh, for, uh, for playing and doing as well as he, he did. I thought we were going to kill each other all week, but he, he, did. He, uh, he did. He did really well. So, but I encourage you to take a Sabbath, and today I want to encourage you to do this, to begin the process just like a father to a son, just like a father to his family, to engage the relationship with Jesus. I want to tell you something. You don't have to try to jump through hoops for Jesus. You don't have to have to lay prostrate and say, please get away from me. I, I, I'm undone. I, I'm, you're too holy. You know what Jesus says to you? Hey, I want you to do something to me. You, get up. Follow me. That's what I want you to do. You know, I want to tell you a story. I was um, helping a church out, and there was a pastor there who also did counseling. And he walked, he walked out of the office, and there was a large man in a pair of overalls. And then this little bitty tiny lady walked out behind him. And they walked out, and you could tell there was probably some issues. And they walked out, and they left. And I looked at the pastor, and I was like, what's, uh, what's, what's going on with them, man? I mean, what's... I mean, he just looks like a good old country boy, and she looked like a sweet lady. And I was like, man, what is their problem? And he said this. He said, well, you know, it's really crazy. All he wants to do is ride the tractor and plant the crops and be a farmer. And lo and behold, she wants to actually have a relationship. She actually wants to engage. She wants to talk. You know what I mean? She wants to go out to dinner. She wants to do all these things, and he simply doesn't get that. He doesn't get that he is supposed to engage in a relationship with her. And a lot of us, I don't think, understand that we are supposed to engage in a relationship. I want to tell you a story. About, I guess it was eight or nine years ago, uh, we were going down to, to, uh, to Florida. We were going down to Gulf Shores to, uh, to go on vacation. And my wife uh, and daughter, Bailey, and her friend and, and mom, they all went early down to vacation. They went down for a women's day, women's weekend. I was in ministry and stuff, so I stayed for that Sunday. And then that Sunday afternoon, Blake and I left. Blake was a young, young boy then. He, he and I left. He was probably six or seven. We left, and we went down to the beach. And I got about, about two hours outside of, outside of Noonan, and I stopped at a Sam's Club. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Myself, my son, my daughter, and my wife can all eat at Sam's Club for eight bucks combined. I'm cheap when it comes to that stuff. You can go over and get a slice of pizza and unlimited drinks for $2, all right? So at that time, that's what we would do. We've since changed our eating habits. We go to Crystal's now. But we did, we did stop at Sam's Club. I stopped at Sam's Club. Blake and I went in. We walked around. You know, I wanted to rest a little bit. We walked around. We got a slice of pizza and a drink. We came back out, and I got in my Jeep. And I cranked it up, and I pulled the lever back, and I put it in gear. And I went, nothing happened. And I was like, well, what in the world? Put it back up in park, pulled it back down in drive. And I looked and I was like, well, wait a minute. It says it's in drive there. It says it's in D. 
That says it's in D. Pushing the accelerator, it's not moving forward. And so I did what every guy does. I go around, I open up the hood, look inside. Not for any reason in particular. I have no idea what it is. I just know that's what looks kind of cool when you're a guy. And I began to call people in a little bit of a panic. And of course, I'm a guy, and so we, we had saved up for our vacation. And I had just served, you know, God doing church and stuff. And so I'm, of course, have a, have a very pot. It's 155 degrees, by the way, in Alabama at the time. I'm on black, new, 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 uh, new asphalt, though, right? New black asphalt. We want to make sure we get the new asphalt. I was burning up hot. I was sweating like crazy. And so then I crawled under the car. I don't know what for. I just looked under there. It looked like something you would do. If I could see anything hanging down, I'd pop it back up or something. Well, I began to, to uh, call people. And I called someone who knew what they were talking about. And they started walking me through the process. And so I walked through the process. And lo and behold, I found out the shifter lever, the shifter cable, whatever you call that, I don't know what it is. I'm sure there's some, you know, some, some guys in here going, oh, it's called a blah, 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 whatever it is. I call it the shifter cable. And so the shifter cable had come undone from the shifter knob. And I literally took it, popped it back on, and that was it. And I pulled it down, and I heard it go, and it engaged. And I started driving. And I was so happy that I didn't have to spend any money. All right, guys, are you with me? Are you with me? And I started thinking about that, and I was like, wow, i got to really be careful with, with that thing. And so from that point forward, I was really careful. But what happens is those bushings actually wear out, and it actually will pop off. And so I got a new one, put it back on there, and it was all fine. It was all good. But here's the thing. Even though, even though it said D for drive, even though the shifter lever said D, the connection between the lever and the transmission, that connection that I'm assuming it's there, but I'm not sure, that connection wasn't made. There was no connection to make it go forward. There was no signal from the, from the, from the lever and from the knob shooting down and saying, hey man, go to drive, homeboy's ready to go to the beach. There was none of that. There was none of that. And I want to tell you something. A lot of us live our life, especially our spiritual lives, where it looks like we're in drive. The lever says we're in drive. We come in here on Sunday mornings and claim to be in drive. And yet all throughout the week, we stay in park. And a lot of us live our whole lives that way because we are not engaged with the relationship with Jesus. Followers of Jesus engage the relationship with Jesus. I want you to know that. You know, a lot of reasons, there's a lot of reasons for this, but one of the biggest reasons for this is this. We have read the Old Testament and we think, we think that we have to jump through hoops. We have to tell God, God, I am undone. Get away from me. You're too holy. Jesus, you're too holy. We think we have to do that in order to please God. And that is a lie. That's a lie. That's an Old Testament way of thinking. Not a New Testament. That's an Old Testament way of thinking. You know, I heard a pastor at one time talk. He said, he said, I have two phones. He was an old pastor, and he said, I have this phone. He pulled it out, and everybody laughed. It was a flip phone. It was a flip phone. 
And he said, I have this flip phone. And he said, I can flip it up and I can make a call and I can talk on it. And it sounds all right. It sounds okay. And if I really, really wanted to really do it, and the kids used to be able to do this so well, you know, some of you teenagers now will never know the struggle of some of you older kids who could text on a flip phone. Am I right? RJ could text on a flip phone. I know he can. I can tell. But if you, you could actually end up texting on this little flip phone, but it was very, very difficult. It was very difficult. And the pastor said this. He said, I got this flip phone. He said, but I had no idea. I had no idea that they made this phone. And then he pulled out a new iPhone. I've got a flip phone here, and I've got an iPhone here. And on this iPhone, I can just speak, and it'll start typing out everything. I can tell it who to call. I can go online and see maps. I can look up stuff on the Internet. There are literally millions of apps that I can pull into this phone. But this phone will never do that. All it'll do is make a call and make a probably an unintelligible text. But this phone, this phone will literally do it all. This phone was a thought, but this phone was the reality of what was always intended. And that's the same way between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament and its laws were diagnostics to show us that we could never live up to the standard at which God is set. It was a diagnostic. I hurt my knee, all right? And it's getting a little bit better, but I hurt my knee. And the first thing I did is I went in and I had an x-ray, okay? I had the x-ray, and they said the same thing they always say when I go in there to get an x-ray. They say, we can't tell anything from the x-ray, so you'll have to get an MRI. My first thought was, was, well, why didn't I go get an MRI to begin with? And they said, well, Heather Baker needs a job, and that's where she works. Heather needs a job, and so get an x-ray first. Right, Heather? I don't want to hate on you, you know. And so I went and got an MRI. If you have not ever gotten an MRI and you're claustrophobic, take five Xanax before going to get an MRI because I just about freaked out. So I get the MRI. I'm literally starting to breathe heavy right now thinking about the MRI that I had to have. I'm having a panic attack getting the MRI. I go back to the doctor. And he starts showing me what's wrong with my knee. But here's the key. It didn't fix it. I didn't leave the doctor's office going, man, now that I know what's wrong with my knee, it's all good. And I just walked, hey, it didn't fix it at all. Why? Well, because x-rays and MRIs, they're all diagnostics. They tell me what the problem is, but they have no power to fix the problem. I want you to understand something. The Old Testament laws that we read about, the Old Testament, those those things were diagnostics, but they had no power to fix what was ailing us, which we needed someone to come and to defeat sin on our behalf because we did not have the ability to do it. And Christ is the one that did that. Just like from the old cell phone to the new cell phone, it was Christ who did that. And in order for us, I want you to hear this, in order for us, in order for us to live a life that is centered around Jesus, in order for us to be equipped to live a Jesus-centered life, we have to engage the very one who holds the solutions for our problems. A lot of us are still trying to check spiritual boxes 
You know, I hear a lot of people all the time say this. They say, you know, I didn't really have a great relationship with my dad. All right. He never really knew how to engage a relationship with me. As a matter of fact, he never really, he just kind of didn't know. It's almost like the song that we did earlier about catching the cradle. You know, he had these desires, but he never really, he never really did the, and then when he wanted to do the relationship, it was a little too late because then I had gotten busy and I had gotten, I, I, I had started doing other things. I was watching a thing this past week. And it was an interview with David Letterman. And David Letterman said this. It was an amazing thing to me. David Letterman, one of the most successful, I mean, he has had one of the best careers of any, any person ever in show business. And David Letterman says this. The person asked him, the person said, hey, man, do you ever miss your show? And he looked at him. He said, no, not one second do I miss my show. And he said, well, why is that? He said, I'll tell you why it is. Because it took until I was 57 years old He was 57 before he had his child. He was 57 years old. And he said this, it took until I was 57 years old to realize what life was really about. See, I thought it was about working. I thought it was about constantly, you know, trying to have the best show and the best show. But what I realized is at the end of every night, the next day is how I'll be judged and not that day. And I realized this, my son, he doesn't care how good my show is. He doesn't care about any of that. My wife and kid don't care about any of that. You know who they care about? They care about me. And I want you to know something. Christ is the same way with you. He doesn't care how well you perform. He doesn't care about those things. What he cares about is engaging in a relationship with you. I want to tell you something else about relationships and about engaging with Christ. Disciples are handcrafted, y'all. They are not mass-produced. Disciples are handcrafted. They are not mass-produced. We have a table in our dining room, and people come in, and they always say, oh, my gosh, I really love that table, and we love the table, too. The table is very unique, all right? We have a very unique dining room table. It was actually handcrafted in Indonesia, Now, before you think we're rich or anything, there was a tornado and we got an insurance settlement. You do the math. All right. (laughs) All right. Uh, And we have the same table that we've had for over 20 years. But we 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 got this table and we kind of matched all of our our dining room things and everything kind of matches. And all of it is handmade from Indonesia. As a matter of fact, it was handmade to the point where when we got the table, they had to do fillers down the center because there were such wide cracks in the table. They actually was handmade by someone's own hand and it was whittled out. And the truth of the matter is, is that we have people, we host things and we have people over at our house a lot. We need a bigger table. We do need a bigger table. It only holds six people. We need an eight-person at least table. But I tell you what, it's so difficult to get rid of that table. And I don't think we're ever going to get rid of the table. Do you know why? Because you can see the little notches where the knife was, where the person who handmade it. You can see the little intricacies. There's not another table like that anywhere in the world. And the same is true for the little, whatever you call it, that holds the dishes. I think it's called a buffet. I don't know. I thought a buffet was what you go eat at the Chinese restaurant, but I think it's called a buffet. Uh, you know, it holds, the same is true for that, and they match. And it's so difficult not, not to, it's so difficult to get rid of that table. And so we have it, and we probably never will. Well, you see, it's, it's unique. It's something that is genuine. And 
what happens a lot of times in churches, and one of the reasons why I got tired of church, and I did get tired of church, and it's pretty bad when you get paid by church, but you get tired of it, is because what I saw in churches is that every church, now they didn't have it out front, but every church, every church, be it Church of Christ, Catholic, Methodist, Baptist, whatever, every church in their minds, now they didn't say this, but they had a cutout of what they wanted you to look like and what they wanted me to look like. And what they would do is, is the minute you walked in, they had this cutout and they would push you through the cutout. And then you would, on the other side, pop out, and you would be almost like this clone. And individuality and being different or dealing with issues, all those kind of things didn't happen. Their whole goal was most of the time to get you down here, to get you quote-unquote saved, and to push you through the cutout that they thought that you should be like, and for everyone to act the same way. Well... I don't like that. I'm a nonconformist, and I was created that way by God himself. And I don't like that. I don't like, you know why I don't like that? Because, man, I tell you, Jesus, listen to this, Jesus only, every time, wanted to enhance that which he had created, not destroy it. He wanted to bring to life that which he created, not destroy it. He wanted to bring that to life. Yet so many times, we're try, we, we, people try to push us through some kind of cutout that they think that a Christian is supposed to look like. Can I tell you what? Disciples are handcrafted. They're not mass-produced. Let me give you an example. In the Old Testament, David was getting ready to fight Goliath. And so no one else would stand up to this giant. Now, David was a little guy. He was about 14 years old. The scriptures say he had a ruddy complexion. I'm going that he was a ginger, all right? I'm just telling you that's my deal. I'm saying he was a ginger. Said he had a ruddy complexion. He was 14. He was overlooked. He went to the battle lines. He sees Goliath. He says, who is this happy jack that's trying to tell us about, uh, about the knocking down God? Everybody's like, oh, man, he's this, he's powerful. He's like, whatever, you know, and he goes down and he gets stones and he's getting ready to fight somebody. Well, Saul calls him in and says, hey, listen, I heard you want to fight Goliath. You need some armor. And so Saul, who was a big, tall guy, strong, he was a huge guy, puts all of his armor on David. And David's walking around and he can't even hardly walk in the armor. And David looks at Saul and says, hey, listen, man, I can't operate in this. This outfit you have me in, I can't do it. Now take this stuff off of me and let me go and fight with my five stones. By the way, he had five stones because Saul, because uh, Goliath had four brothers. He didn't think he was going to miss. He was just ready for the five brothers because he thought if he, when he killed Goliath, there was going to be another brother coming and he was going to smack him in the head too. Not sure if you knew that or not, but that's the case. And he walked out and he slew the giant. Why? Because he wasn't trying to operate in someone else's lane or like they were or like someone thought they were. No, he knew God well enough and had engaged with God well enough to know that God doesn't make, he doesn't mass produce. He hand crafts things. One of the things that... uh, one of the things that I like doing is I like digging in the scriptures. I do. I love digging in the scriptures. I like taking verses like the one we read today. I dug in that scripture all week this week about from Luke chapter 5 of what Jesus had said and all the intricacies around that and where Jesus was. And, and I love digging in the scriptures. And I love looking at books. And I love reading books about scriptures. I love reading all those things. All right? 
Well, when I say those kind of things, you may be thinking, well, man, I need to do that. He, you know, that's how he's so spiritually mature, which I'm not, but that's how he's so spiritually mature. I need to do that. And I tell you, no, you don't, unless that's how God made you. See, God made me get enjoyment out of doing that. I engage with that. You know how some people engage with God? You know what they do? They get their Bible and they listen to a podcast and they go through it that way. And that's how they engage with God. Some people actually engage with God by going, getting their Bible, going to a park and seeing the beauty of nature. Some people do that and they engage with scripture that way. See, you don't have to be like me. Be who God created you to be. Remember, your goal is to always be that which God had in mind while he was creating you. That is your ultimate. That's your ultimate goal. You know, when we were going to plant this church, I've told you the story. We were going to plant this church. Uh, I had so many people call me and say, hey, listen, you've got to read this book. Pastors call me. You've got to read this book. You know, and it was and and I got some of those books and I started reading them. And then I realized something. Those books were the stories of the churches that had been planted successfully, and it told how they planted the church, and they told their story. And I stopped reading all those books. You know why? Because I want to plant our own story. I want to write our own story. I want God to write out our story. I want him to tell of, of what, I, what happened in year 6 and 8 and 12 and 14. That's what I want to do. I don't want someone else's story. I don't want to follow somebody else's model. I want God to write our own model. I believe him enough and believe that he is genuine enough and believe that he handcrafts us enough that he can write our own story. And so I stopped doing all that. I stopped reading all that. And I want to encourage you to stop comparing yourself to everyone else. Engage in a relationship with Christ and allow him to then handcraft your faith in him. One other little thing that I want you to know, and it's this. Jesus meets us where we are. And that's the final thing I want to tell you. He meets us where we are. We heard this at camp this week, and I love it. The speaker said this. He says, listen, we don't come find Jesus. You know, people always say, well, I'll let you know, man, I was a hellion, and I found Jesus. Well, the truth of the matter is, no, you weren't. You were a hellion, and Jesus found you. That's what happened. The song that we sang earlier says this. It says, you know, the, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down. I mean, that's what it says. It chases me down. And it says, it says, it even leaves the 99 to come get the one. The overwhelming, reckless love of God. Jesus meets us where we are. In the text that we read today, Jesus wasn't in the temple. He wasn't. He, he wasn't in the temple. He wasn't passing out cards in the temple saying, hey, you guys, be here Sunday at 11. It would have been Saturday. Saturday at 11, I'm going to be speaking, and I'm going to help you. That's not what he did. You know what he did? He went to the shore where they were working. And people were following him, and he began to teach. He didn't meet Peter at the temple. He met Peter at the boat where Peter was. That's what he did. And that's the same thing he does for you. 
And that's the same thing He does for me. On this Father's Day, I want to encourage you to do this. Take time to engage with your dad. I can't do that anymore. My dad's my dad passed away in 2005. It's been 13 years. I can't do that anymore. There are people here whose fathers have passed away, some recently, some not recently. But I want to encourage you to do this. Engage with your father if you can. And if you cannot, then engage with your kids. Do that. And the second thing I want to encourage you to do, not only read the scripture and the text, not only make sure you're taking a Sabbath, but also engage with the relationship with Jesus because no growth, no growth comes in your life until you do. And that's what I want to encourage you with today. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the people that came. Thank you for fathers here. Thank you for godly men that stand up and say, you know what? I am going, my family will be this way. I will stand on this. I will trust in God. I will engage the relationship. I'll do those things. Thank you so much for that. Thank you so much for for, uh, for, for families that you bring together. Thank you so much for single guys too who, who are committed to you and that have engaged the relationship with you and allowed you to change them. Lord, my prayer is, is that we will not just come to church and try to be put through some kind of cutout of what we think some kind of Christian is or that we will try to fake someone else's relationship and say, well, I saw him doing this, so I'm going to do this because even though I hate doing it, I'm going to do it anyway. My prayer is, is that when people engage with you and they engage the relationship, my prayer is, is that they will become changed and begin to come who you had in mind when you created them to begin with. That's my prayer. Lord, I know you can do it, and I believe it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast of Real Church Coweta. If you have any questions or if you would like to contact us at Real Church, please go to our website at www.realchurchcoweta.com and click on the Contact Us tab. We invite you to join us on Sunday at 11.15 a.m. at the Worship Center on the campus of Central Christian School in Sharpsburg. Also, check out our website or Facebook page for directions. Until next time, God bless and remember to love God, love others, and live real.